Hi everyone, um, welcome to the Neurodiverse Universe podcast with myself, Ben Holmes from Autism and Neurodiversity Coaching. Um, today's guest is Jensen Coleman, um, who's autistic and also a volunteer at a football club. Um, so welcome Jensen, it's great to have you. Thank you very much. Um, so usually, um, you know, there's a few sort of questions we'll go through and then we'll see uh, how it flows from from there. So, uh, as I mentioned, uh, you, you're autistic as well as myself. Um, so, first question I normally ask is when we actually diagnosed, if you have been diagnosed yet as as being autistic. Well, my, well, my mum and dad started noticing the signs around February two thousand five. Originally, um, I was still in nursery. Um, I was I was doing quite a lot of weird things. Um, during my time in nursery, there were there were a lot of times where I'd be picking Velcro off the shoes, and I'd be trying to eat it because I didn't really know what was consumable or anything at the time. Um, yeah. And another thing was during nurse nursery activities, so like pat cake and things like that, I'd usually be sat in a different corner playing uh, playing with like little train toy trains and everything. Um, yeah. and, and the truth is I couldn't really speak a full sentence either I was only muttering words when I was only three so but in terms of the diagnosis itself it took a bit of a while to um, get it going but it was December 2007 that I was diagnosed in the end um, it was I was in primary school at the time so it was quite beneficial that therapists and doctors and things like that they all started. They all started like telling my parents, right? This is we've had a look at. We've had a look at all the signs that your son has been showing, and um, yep, we can confirm that's autism. Quite frankly, so um, yeah, um, I was diagnosed in December two thousand seven. Yeah, so obviously you've you've known that you're autistic for quite a while now, which is. So when I speak to people, I speak to people who've been late diagnosed or diagnosed as, as a young age, and there tends to be differences there in terms of how that affected them, whether it's good or bad or in between. So when you actually got the diagnosis, can you remember it meaning anything in particular to you then? And sort of now, how, how what does it mean to you to, to be diagnosed? I think looking back at it, I don't really know why it was. Um, I didn't really know what autism was at the time. I was still extremely young. I was a, I was a very quiet, um, I was a very quiet um, little kid. I didn't really get told a lot. Um, I didn't really understand a lot. I was just trying to make my way through the world. But yeah. looking back at, but looking back at all this stuff that I did at nursery, I think and being told about it by my mum and dad, I think I could see why I was diagnosed as autistic because. Mm. Obviously, that's that's nothing a usual student would do um, during nursery, and yeah. um, really, it, the diagnosis didn't really mean anything to me until I think I think the conversation around my autism started to ramp up around um, when I started secondary school. So um, I did have speech and language therapists at primary, or at least in the last couple of years of it, and. Um, and I, would, and I kept wondering why I was getting invited on all of these tri- like trips for people 
for send kids and everything. I kept wondering why I was getting like letters and everything. And uh, and at the time, it felt like Kevin. I'm not going to lie, but um, but but looking back at it, I think I think the fact that I I and a few of my friends were invited, and not anybody else within the class. I think looking back at that, I think I could. I think I could put two and two together and just like think, oh, so so that's what happened. And and yeah, the diagnosis didn't really mean anything to me until secondary school. Um, but but it but it means everything to me now, and um, I'm just glad to have it. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah, like you've said, when you were younger, it's a completely different thing anyway because. Obviously, you're still learning about a lot of things in general, so it's another thing to take on. Um, would you say it's a similar sort of question, really? So you may have already answered this, to be fair, but you know, would you say it's changed your life? Um, you may have already answered that. So if there's anything you want to sort of add with with that, really, I don't think it's made a difference, really. I think um, I, I think I've just settled into um, knowing that I have autism rather yeah. than I have autism. I don't. I don't think it was a case of me finding out, um, just being randomly told it, or something like that. I, yeah. I think it. I, I think it was just more my mum and dad um, sitting me down one day and telling me, like, you know how you've been a little bit crazy in your childhood. Um, you've got autism, and uh, and I had to ask him what it was. You know, yeah. you know, because yeah. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was. I thought it was some sort of some sort of like illness originally, but uh, which which of course is a common myth as we all know. But I think I think just knowing that I've got it and knowing that it's pretty unique. Um, I think I think um, I think it has changed my life a little bit, but not fully because. Um, because having been told that by my parents, knowing that they were the ones who noticed the signs in the first place, I think I think that was very beneficial. And um, look, looking back at it, I'm glad they did. Yeah, no, I understand that. It makes sense. Um, in terms of your, like any friends or or the family members, when. I suppose it's hard to say because how how young you were, but the, well, the question is how how did they respond to your autism diagnosis? So it might not be when you was necessarily first diagnosed, but maybe later on. Was there any particular you know situation you can remember and how how they responded to it? If that makes sense. Well, I have alluded to already. My mum and dad knew the signs, so yeah. they were like that right away it, it just clicked for them um i don't i don't think my older brother was told until i was in year four so so that so i know that was like universe is away now but um but but i think my older brother had to be told because he he was even a little bit confused by um the stuff i did and things like that and in terms of like friends i had a lot of um friends that junior school that um that were similar because um they had autism as well yeah and and i think and i think it's it's just about that bond you know you click straight away with 
people like that because they're a bit like you. And um, nowadays, I'm at, I'm at uni now and I'm heading into my final few months there. And um, when when I told um, when I told people on my course that I was autistic, they were like, "Wait a minute! I would I, I would have never had you down as an autistic person, you know, you know, because you can't see it as an invisible disability." And um, they thought they thought why my voice sounded a little bit um, unique was because they thought it was because of where I was from. So. Um, and um, I live in one of the worst towns on the planet, I can tell you that. <laughs> That's just my own opinion. Um, <clears throat> no, but um, I, think, I think my family and friends, um, I don't think it matters to them, really, because, um, because they know that I might need help at a few stages. And, well, um, that's, that's just as an ongoing story. Yeah. No, it's good. I mean, it's when I ask that question, people, some people say, you know, people being very supportive or, you know, some people doesn't bother either way. So there's, yeah, it's, it's good to know how, how people respond to it. Um, so in terms of support, have you, um, what levels of support have you had just from, not necessarily from family members, uh, we can include that, but in terms of, you know, schools or, um local authorities and any anything sort of local to you um i know you alluded to school earlier um going on the trips etc and you said your parents etc is there anything else would you say you've had a good level of support or or not i think i think there's support from my family and like teaching assistants at school and everything i think i think that's the only bunch of people that i can name um knowing that that's probably the only stuff that I remember. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've been at junior school, I've been at um, secondary school, I've been at college. Um, college was definitely probably the toughest little area of my life. Um, just simply, just simply because I was walking into somewhat of an unknown environment, and obviously, this <laughs> weren't a school. Um, everything, everything felt a little bit more free in a way. So, yeah. so you were allowed. So you were allowed to like go outside your classrooms and everything um, to like do stuff. And I think, I think looking back on it, uh, you you have to take into consideration that uh, a person like me, um, a man like me, definitely struggled um, adapting to college. And I think, I, mean, I think I did um, just in general. Because every, everybody was going about on about like the modern generation, the modern society, things like that. I'm yeah. I'm more of a I'm more of a nineties flashback boy, but I get that because um because that's how I was simply raised. Um, yeah. I, I was raised on like nineties eighties music, um, like your yeah, clubland everything um, from back in the day, um, but yeah. Um, Obviously, I did have a lot of support, and I can't. And I'm getting a lot of support now at uni, although not as not as much because obviously, university is all about how you're doing and your hard work contributing to something. I mean, heck, I've got my dissertation to hanging in April, so, uh, and then that that's my educational story finished, basically. Yeah. 
No, it's interesting you say uh, say all that. Um, so, just going back to the the bit where you said college was the toughest time out of you know school and college, etc. Um, that's interesting. Like for me personally, because I, I wasn't diagnosed at school, and I preferred college to to school um, because of the reasons you've said really um, that were negative for you. So, like the freedom side of it. Um, so I enjoyed college more because I wasn't constrained as much. Um, whereas you're kind of saying the opposite in a way, I guess. Um, and there's something else you said there. Oh, the the 90s thing. Yeah, as well. That, that's, I mean, I was sort of um, raised in the 90s, but that's something I, like Clubland and stuff like that, that's literally what I like as well. Um, so, yeah. Um, obviously, you're younger aren't you so you you saying you was it was more was that more parents influence the 90s sort of thing or yeah yeah that was definitely more their influence yeah yeah um so one question i like to ask because i get lots of different answers on, on this is um do you see autism as a disability now that is a question that's asked very very often yeah and every time I'm going to say no, because because quite because quite frankly you can't because think if you think about it it's like a superpower. So Iron Man has this like repulsion blasters. Captain America has a shield that chops people in half. Um, Doctor Strange has like his magic hands and everything. I have autism, and I think that just makes me feel a lot more unique. I mean, it's like it's like it's like a crown. But a monarch could wear, right? It's mm-hmm. um, you know, all them gems in it. Yeah. You get like this one gem with like that looks broken from a distance inside the crown, but when you look a lot further, when you look a lot closer, you actually just notice that it's a gem with a lot with just like a few more details added to it. That's mm-hmm. how I see autism. It's it's this gem. It's a unique gem, though. It's a unique gem because it's got like little details inside it instead of it just looking like a random diamond that someone picked that maybe Indiana Jones picked out of a treasure chest or something. It's um, it, I I just I just see it as um something that can be used to its full positivity levels if if you will, and I'm glad to have it. I'll I'm I'm I'll champion it for the rest of my life. That, that's that's really good. Um, would say because I, I, I don't see it as a disability, and most of the people I speak to, um, on, on this podcast it, say the same thing. Um, but obviously I, I respect people that, that see it as as that. Um, so yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with the superpower thing. I think, I mean, I do see it as a superpower, hundred percent. I know not everyone does, and that that's fine if they don't. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's exactly how I'd. Um, I wouldn't. At first, I've heard that analogy that you've used, but I can totally understand the mechanics of it. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, so I like to throw a few random questions in there, as such. Um, what is your favourite colour? If if you have a favourite colour. 
Ah, oh, uh, um, well, it's changed over the years because um, obviously, obviously, I've become more accustomed to a lot of things. My yeah. favorite color did used to be blue because um, back in the days, I uh, back in the days, you're gonna laugh, but I actually used to watch a lot of Smurfs cartoons, and that's one of my favorite. That's why that's why my favorite color was blue. Yeah, but yeah. but obviously, but obviously now, well, I'm I'm not saying I've grown out of the Smurfs, but I'm get, but I'm edging more towards red as a favorite color now because um because I, because my my football club who I work for volunteer for they play in red and black so so to so it all kind of connects really um it yeah it's just it's just red. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. So, with autism, um, one of the things that is quite common is having special interests. So, would you say you have any special interests and what would they be? Well, as I've alluded to before, watching football is probably one of them. And, and the degree I'm doing at um, uni is actually multimedia sports journalism. So I like writing about it, and I like reading about it as well. Yeah. Um, but, but, but going away from sport, I really like to go to the cinema. Um, I'm a I'm a very very big movie fan, admittedly. Um, last last movie I saw was um, the second Avatar film, which just blew my mind. Quite frankly, I was sat I was sat there in the cinema for like five minutes after it finished, just trying to contemplate what the heck I've just seen. You know, because of because of all its visuals and everything, I was just trying to like contemplate, you know, like just bring my thoughts together. I, yeah. I was seeing I was seeing it with a friend as well, and, and he was like, oh, I enjoyed it. Me, I, me, my mind was blown. I'm I was done. I, yeah. I, I wanted to I, that was just it was just pure escapism. And yeah. um yeah. and obviously goes and and going away from that, I'm a huge MCU fan, I'm a big Marvel fan. So you'll you'll see me in the cinema watching like your Doctor Strangers, your Fours, your Black Panthers. You'll yeah. you'll see me in the cinema for pretty much every single Marvel film. And I haven't grown out animation either. I haven't grown out animation. I'm 21 and I'm still in love with animated films. That can be something. You're never too old for animation. Simple as no. that. No, and no, I mean I'd, I'd definitely say that. I, I know quite a few people still who like animation films of all sorts of ages and yeah, it doesn't matter what age you are. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with that. Just, just interestingly, when you said you stayed in, you stayed in the cinema after the end of the Avatar film, um, is that something you normally do or do you, do you normally stay after the film or is there any, was it just that one particular film? Well, the, well, since, well, since the way of water, was um, since Avatar The Way of Water didn't have a post-credit scene. Um, it was just like the first part of the credits that I sat there for. So, you know, like when it says, read by, written by, produced by. That, that bit I stayed there for. But when it started rolling up, um, that that's when I was like, okay, I can move out of my seat now. I'm all good. Um, yeah. but, but for Marvel movies, I always stay behind for the little scenes during the credits. I always stay behind for that because... Because you're not a real Marvel fan if you don't stay behind for the end credit scenes so that you know what's coming next and everything. 
you're not a real fan. If you but but if you have been spoiled in terms of post credit scenes and what they actually are before the film, you see the film, then just walk out. You know, you've yeah. been spoiled. You've you you've you've been they've been spoiled for you. Just just go. Just go. Yeah, you'll, fi- you'll find your scenes a little bit more boring if you yeah, watch yeah. them out. Yeah, I get what you mean. Um, so another bit of a random question is if you could meet any celebrity or famous figure past or present um, is there anyone you'd pick it doesn't have to be one person it could be a couple if I mean I've got a whole list but <laughs> um, I would I would have to say my top three people to meet are probably Peter Crouch uh, Ryan Reynolds and Chris Pratt. Okay. Um, I would I would say Peter Crouch because he's probably just the funniest man working in football at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've got Michael Richards and Roy King sat as pundits now, but um, they they just don't top the really tall geezer at the moment. It's um, nah, nothing tops Crouch <laughs> at the moment. Um, and that and that's coming from a Fulham fan. Um, so uh, Ryan Reynolds just simply because he's a, he's a hilarious actor. Um, I mean, we're seeing seeing him in the Deadpool films now. We know we know the wide range of humour he's got, and yeah. that and that we know what he can do. And Chris Pratt just because he's voiced a lot of my favourite characters in movies. Well, voiced, I mean played. Um, so you've yeah. got Emmett out the Lego Movie. Um, you've got. Star Lord out Guardians of the Galaxy. And of course, you've got a pretty controversial pick as him from for the new Mario movie. Um I, I think his voice is fine because um because Canon in Nintendo Canon, it's actually Mario's actually from New York. Yeah. But he's got like a subtle Italian accent originally originally. Yeah, I read this stuff. Um <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. So um, I, I like, I like, I genuinely like what he's doing with Mario so far. I think, um, I think the movie's just going to be great overall. But if people still like your voice after that, then why you, why were you even, why did you even pay the money if you, all you were going to do is criticise the voice? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, Peter Crouch. I mean, that's not no one, no one said that one. I mean, there's, there's. How many people could you choose from? So obviously, um, there's that many you could choose from. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Pick him. Um, yeah, it's, this is why I ask this question because I get loads of different answers, which I enjoy listening to. Um, so, in terms of what you're doing, um, sort of work-wise, so the football club it's Kettering Town. Yeah. Uh, so just just before I go into that, so whereabouts are you actually based? What area are you based in? Northamptonshire. Okay, uh, but you did you say Sport Fulham? Did you just say a minute ago? Yeah, Sport Fulham, but um, that's a that's a different that's a story for another time because it's you know what I'm going to tell it because I'm going to tell it. So well, um, so my dad, so my late nan, uh, Patricia Shucks, she was born in uh. Richmond, I think it was going back, and obviously Richmond's West London area. So yeah. you've got like 
So you you think about the teams that are around there. You've got Chelsea, Fulham, QPR, Brentford. Um, Mangan, Mangan, this might be a little confusing to understand, but Mangan would go Chelsea one week and Fulham another. Yeah. So so she really liked both teams. She was a football mad girl, absolutely football mad. Yeah. But she settled on on Chelsea in the end, and so I think I think that's why I support Fulham. In a way, because it's like family heritage. In a way, yeah. Uh, I I just picked that up. Uh-huh. I, I, I it in some ways I picked up a baton, and I'm carrying it now. So, and um and there's another cheeky little reason that I do support Fulham. The first ever match I watched and play was against Preston North End, and I was only a quid to game. <laughs> so, and you can't beat cheap football. Um, no. That's amazing. Can't be uh, cheap football whatsoever. Uh, was that a long time ago? I'm trying to think. What uh, 2017, was... March 2017, oh. I started supporting Fulham. Um, right. Yeah, I've been supporting them what almost six years now. Yeah. So have you have you always had an interest in football? Has it since like what you've said from passing on from that? Has it always been there? <laughs> no. I was never interested when I was a. I was never interested when I was like a child or any. Or I was never interested when I was a child. But it was it was as soon as I um, started year eight, and Mangan, she was looking for someone new to go to Ketchum Town with, because that's yeah. actually how I got um, in with the media team in twenty nineteen. Right. Um, she, she was looking for someone new. My bro- my older brother was too busy with his kickboxing and my mum obviously got more hours at work. So, so so she was looking. My little brother said no. My dad said no. And then she dragged me by, and then she dragged me by the staff and, I, and we were gone. Um, and and I remember I remember the first win very well actually. It was a two-one victory against either Aylesbury or Aylesbury United. Um, can't remember which team off by heart right now, but but when I saw when I saw the passion of fans, like this, like them cheering when when a goal went, them groaning when they conceded, them when when someone got sent off or anything. They would just go like, quite ironically. Um, yeah. That that is what you go to a football for to to have a mingle, to have a laugh, to see goals going, to see tackles flying, and to often see them and, and often to see the fans on the pitch. But of course, nowadays you get banned for that. So, yeah, um, that that's how I fell in love with sporting. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and. So in terms of what else you do, so um, obviously uh, we're catching time. I mean, well, if you want to speak about that in more detail, you can do in terms of what, what you actually do with the club and, you know, whether you enjoy it, etc. Well, I've been waiting to share this for ages, but here we go. I'm the guy who tweets all your updates on match day. At okay. home. When we're at home, I'm the guy who's behind the laptop. Doing all the Twitter updates, doing all the goal updates, everything. I've been wanting to reveal that for ages because I've given people hints. I've said, 
Oh, you know, I, I, I work with Ketchings Media Department. I um, I help cover them. What they don't know is I'm, I'm the tech whiz doing all the hashtags and everything. So, um, so thank God that's all out in the open. And, um, and you, you know what? It's been a lot of fun. I mean... I mean, my one of my colleagues, they actually sort out the graphics for the goals. Mm-hmm. So all I do is literally put them up with like a little bit, little, little blurb saying, oh, yeah, good pass, good pass, overhead kick, top corner. Yeah. Bob's your uncle and someone called uh, Fanny Stewart. Yeah, it's good. I'm glad that you've uh, been waiting to do that and you've, you've managed to reveal it. So that's, that's really good. And... Do you, do you really enjoy doing it? Is it something you you find yourself quite passionate about? Oh God, yeah. I think um, I think I think learning how to do that has just given me like a deep dive into how media within the sport industry really works. So yeah. obviously, t- on Twitter, users sometimes get a lot of um, backslash backslashing backlashing everything. Yeah. Um, and um, and obviously they have to answer back to that with some sort of like roast or something that they learned from America because we just seem to nick everything from America nowadays, our humour and things like that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, um, learning how to do the Twitter and everything that's been really beneficial. Yeah, that's good. And if it's in me, what? What you're learning, etc., as well, doesn't it? So, um, I mean, you're at university, and that's so UCFB, is it the the um... Wembley Stadium one? Yeah. Yes. Right. Okay. Because I I know a little bit about that. I can remember when when they first started that. It was quite a big thing at the time. Quite a what's the word? Some it was quite different when they first introduced it. Um, is it Wembley and Etihad where they do it? I, I don't know. Uh, when Wembley, Etihad, and Turf Moor now, the home of Burnley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how how are you finding that experience? It's been fantastic. I mean, I mean, I I see Wembley as the best stadium in the world. A lot of people say the New Camp. A lot of people say the Etihad. And some and some bozos even say Old Trafford, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, oh no, I'm an artist fan, but uh, yeah, <laughs> go on, go on. Didn't mean you, um, but um, but but I see I see Wembley as the best stadium in the world. Why? Because it it's pretty much where football was born. It, this is England is pretty much uh, the ar- architect of football. And if you, yeah, it's called football, not soccer. Um, yeah. We learned that at the World Cup. Um, and um, when when you look at it, I, I just I just think everything about Wembley is unbelievable. Like you you get that iconic arch, like spread across the stadium, just to let people know, ah, so that's the stadium. And um, um, for me to call it a university campus that I study at, just, just, just absolutely, I wouldn't cut your arms off for that if I was told that I was going to be studying there. But, um, but the truth is, but but the truth is, I have loved every single minute there. I start I started there in twenty twenty, um, obviously when COVID was at its peak, yeah. and um, 
And to be fair, it didn't really change afterwards because um because everybody was still quite close together, even with their masks on. Yeah. And um and everybody still met and everybody gets along brilliantly. I don't think I've seen a tighter knit group since my year group at KBA, Catching Baclou Academy. I don't think I've seen a tighter knit year group um of any of any sort really. No, it's really good to hear. Um Good to hear. I mean, it's. I actually looked at it myself when they first started it off, wondering whether I wanted to do something like that. It was I can't remember how long ago it was, a few years back. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to know what what it's what it's like there. Um, in terms of what else you do, you do um, is it final third sports media? So yeah, yeah do you want to just explain what what you actually what you what you do there? Okay, so Final Third Sports Media is essentially it's some form of agency. We we have contacts within we have contacts in like America and Canada. Um, so we as a company we work for well my my boss he obviously runs the company, but um, well one of the uh, people who runs it and um, and and when. We have we have contacts in America and Canada. Um, our contact in America is um, the Professional Referee Organization. So we work for them by producing their stats and everything like that. So how many cards does a referee give out each game? How many fouls do they give away? Give out almost a giveaway. Um, and um, and in Canada, oh no, that's no, that's it. Um, in Canada, um, we work for a league called League One Ontario. So, so obviously it's like a huge league. Um, it's like di- I think there's different divisions to it. I'm going to have to have another look. But um, yeah, but we work for them by producing their articles that they put out online and everything. We're the ones who put it out online and on yeah. socials and everything. So. We we basically do her job for them, and um, yeah. and yeah, and we do a pretty damn damn good job at it. That's good, and and do you, I'm guessing you enjoy that um, that role as well. I'm very good with my numbers, yeah. Uh, even though I got four. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Um, so in terms of you also mentioned um, what was it? Uh, not in the podcast. Uh, I think it was sportism. Um, yeah. So it, it's, what what have you been doing with that? Is it articles you've been doing or what? Um, yeah. I think it's just. Um, I, I think I've just grown a. I, I think I've just grown a little um, thing with them it, um, because of because I was interviewed by Matt Bates, obviously, who's my boss at Final Fair as well. So. So sportism and final third actually colliding away. Um, so with with sportism, I've been interviewed by them. I've done an article for them. They've done a video on me. Um, and one of my days at Ketchum, working at Ketchum, and yeah. how and how I'm doing things like that. Um, I'm I'm essentially an ambassador. Um, to be fair for sportism. 
I mean, I do get a bit time to time from for them, but most of my work with my boss, Matt, comes through Final Third. And to have them colliding in a way, that, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, so looking at the, the autism side of it, um, do you have any other um, conditions or disorders, whatever you want to word it, neurodivergent? Says, is there anything else you, you have as far as you're aware, as well as being autistic? I get a bit of anxiety here and there. I mean... Um... I mean, obviously, when, when it comes to talking to people I know, I'm brilliant at it. I'm, yeah. I'm brilliant. When it's people I haven't talked to in a while, I mean, I can get a conversation going, but it might fall flat. Yeah. But when it's completely new people that I'm trying to talk to, it's almost it's, all, it's almost as if a dog whistle has been blown. And you're the dog in that situation. It's like, oh, what am I doing? You know, yeah. you know things like that. And... Yeah. Um, and and I think and I do get anxious quite a lot. I hear I hear things in the news, even though I absolutely hate it. I yeah. I hate the news seriously. I I really don't like it. You know, just because it's so negative and everything. Yeah. Oh, let's see what's on the news today. Oh, politics and death. Brilliant. Um. Yeah. All it ever is is about that. All it ever is politics and death. We all know this. We watch it every day. We absolutely hate the sound of it. And and I'm more of a sports news person myself. So obviously, so obviously when your club is signing someone, it's like you're you're like wondering who the heck it is that you've yeah. signed, unless you're Fabrizio Romano. Um yeah. and and obviously you just um and and obviously and yeah, I'm stuttering a lot. I'm, all I'm going to say is anxiety. The anxiety is there. It just creeps up from time to time. And I know that. Yeah. No, um, just, just on what you've said there, uh, just on the news, yeah, I, I'm a big, I won't say advocator, but whatever the word is, I'm a big, I'm against the news for the very reasons you've just said. I, I don't watch the news at all. If anyone tries to make me watch the news, I just, I just don't. Um because it is negative generally. Um, yeah, it's just, like I said, I don't like politics and obviously like deaths and stuff is not something you want to be reading about every single day. So, yeah, and I prefer sports news, if anything, anyway. Um, yeah, interesting, you mentioned Fabrizio um, Romano as well, yeah, because obviously with the transfers, he's the one that a lot of people go to now for, for news in that sense. Um so yeah, no, it's. I mean, I, I'm a big football fan myself, um, as well. So it's good to speak to other people who are autistic and like football because most people ask to speak to football about aren't. Um, so you you get a different thing on it as well. Like, like I've always been interested in stats and things like which a lot of people are. But oh, same here. It's the level you go to it, I guess, isn't it? Um, a lot of people like those things to a degree, but they tend not to like them sort of past that that level, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, do you, are you interested, just because I've interviewed someone else who is a similar position, what's your thoughts on football kits, as in 
do you have any sort of particular interest in the kits or is it just the kit of your team that you're interested in? Uh, I can't really answer that one, actually. I don't really um, seem to take interest in kits. For me, yeah. it's just like one glimpse at each room and it's just like, oh, all right. I suppose that looks all right. Oh, yeah. that looks awful. That, that looks sensational. Um, yeah. And, that, and that's just a shirt. You know, it's some, some sorts of, you know, it's some sort, it's that sort of thing with me. It's just like, that's brilliant. Or, you know, uh, even I could be puking over that. Um, Aggie Gas. Aggie Gas, they be turning your limbs out. Feeler, they just agree with it. Um, stuff, yeah. stuff like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I get what you mean. Um, so with your work with, with Kettering, um, is that so when you, you're doing the work, are you actually at the ground whilst you're doing the work or do you do it remotely? Yeah, so you're actually at the game as you, you update yeah. them. Yeah, that makes sense because obviously it won't be on TV, so therefore, you know, it's be- better for you to be there and know exactly what's going on. Um, yeah. So are you sort of um, quite autonomous in that sense? So like, do you just watch the game and report on what you see? Or do you have anyone sort of telling you stuff to do in that sense? It's more so me telling them what to do sometimes. Because yeah. um I'm I'm the one with the stopwatch that we have to bring to every that we have to bring to every match. Yeah. If the stopwatch ain't there, then they're stuffed, quite frankly. Well, yeah. at home they are at when, when they go away, they have a time of their own. But when they're at home and there's no stopwatch there, oh boy, they, they go through some... Uh, I won't say they go through a crisis because obviously someone could whip their phone out. It's like, oh, yeah. But um, but I I actually have to bring a stopwatch because in 2019, when I joined, it was like, oh, we need a stopwatch. And it was like... Oh, okay. I'll just. I guess I'll just go out and buy one. I'm not a referee or anything. Don't have a whistle, but um, yeah. All right. I'll just. I'll just. I'll just. I'll just go to a new shop. Buy buy a stopwatch. I got it from Amazon, um, <laughs> and um, it's proving a very good purchase. That's good though. And do do you actually um do you go to any of the away games or is it just just the home home games you go to? I've been to a few this season, actually. Um, I've I've covered, I've done the Twitter for some away games this season. Um, I was actually allowed to tweet on a win back in December because we hadn't won away all season yeah. in the league. So to tweet on Boxing Day and know that we actually won a league game, I I put like a little for the full time tweet. I actually put a little sarcastic thing with the graphic saying yes we actually won a league game away and um and I, th- I think it was the most reception that the club had got on twitter all year it was unbelievable yeah and obviously apart from a little list trust gag that um my colleague ed um was the mastermind of but i won't get into that yeah yeah so so with um, what you're doing at the moment and sort of building on from there, do you have any specific sort of aims or goals, what you're wanting to do? Because obviously 
you're interested in the football media side of it. Is anything any you know, yeah, goals you you've got of what you want to do in the future? I think it's an open canvas at the moment, really. I don't really have any specific goals. Don't really have any specific aims. I think I think now it's just about I think now it's just riding that riding the waves through to the end of um university life and just making sure that that I pass and I graduate. But that's all that the aim has to be now, quite frankly. No goals, no aims. I don't know where my future's an open book, basically. No, there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's good to have, yeah, to, to have open, like I say, to have an open mind with what what you want to do with it. Um, as long as you're enjoying what you're doing, that's that's the main thing, I think. Um, so, with autism, is there is there anything that you think people should know about with autism in particular? For you know, maybe people listening. Um, is anything you, if someone says what what would you say about autism that you really want people to know is there anything that you can think of, of saying with that actually there is um, there's at least 22% of autistic adults are working that means 78% of them aren't hmm. like what the heck is that all about but I, I think I think I think companies need to grow up here and yeah. literally and and try and think, oh, so we need to include more disability within our work, don't we? Because because obviously some of a lot of disabilities are invisible to the naked eye. Yeah. But the fact but the fact that I read that stat, twenty-two percent of autistic adults are in the working world. And that's just in general. Mm-hmm. What is that about? Yeah. No, I fully agree with that. It's something, you know, our, my company is trying to help improve those figures by, you know, educating employers and also supporting individuals with the, you know, who are autistic um, so that they can navigate the, the working world better. But it all starts from the companies actually, like you say, getting their act together and actually, as a whole, making it more accessible um, so that it's easier for us to to work in those environments. Because, um, yeah, I mean, after that, that statistic you said, I would say a high number of those would actually want to work, but can't for whatever reason because they're not, catered to their needs aren't catered catered for um or they may start jobs and then may get released from the jobs for whatever reason because they don't fit in or they don't tick the boxes they're looking for etc um so yeah i think it's a, it's a good point to bring up um so coming towards the end to sort of wrap it up is there Anything else you particularly want to sort of talk about or, or mention in terms of your work or autism? Is anything at all? Yeah, um, there is actually. Um, I just want to take this opportunity to thank all my family and friends over the years. I know, I know, my autism can make things confusing, but 
but it's just about learning to adapt. And um, if you learn to adapt, and um, I mean, if you if my family and friends go out and talk to anyone about autism, if they yeah. can even if they can remember one fact a day about it, memorize it, and go and tell people what how how I am, how autistic people are, I think I think that's going to raise a heck of a lot more awareness mm-hmm. and. And I just, I just think it will gain more appreciation. To be fair, because okay, it is okay. Autism is invisible to an naked eye. When, you, but when you look closer, that person, that autistic person, they have that layer to them that they want you to discover. And you, and you may, and you may think it doesn't care, but you will care once, once we have, once people like us have breakdowns. Like have meltdowns, everything's like that. You you will understand how we feel when okay, sometimes it doesn't go away, but we don't have the emotion to show sometimes. And obviously that lack of emotion might seem rude. But maybe that's one thing that people have got to learn. I think I think if I think if we could all I think if we could raise more awareness and not just within, not just within family, not just within friends, not within sport, but I mean everything. But maybe the world will be a better place. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. I think it's a really important message and I'm glad you've shared that. Like I say, if people can learn, well, i say just one thing a day about autism, then I mean, remember and actually accept it and do something about that, then, it will, it will make the world a better place, as you've said. And you know the the world does need to you know, waken up to it. As a, I mean, there, there are a lot of people who are doing great things, whether they're autistic or not. But there's still a hell of a lot of people who who don't know about it or don't want to know about it. So it's it's getting that message across and actually making a change, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's why I love my family and friends so much. It's because they understand me anyway. Sure, I might be confusing at times. I might, I might tell jokes that don't really hurt home, but at least I know once I explain it to them, they'll laugh. And I know when I talk with them, I'll just make them laugh and 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 treat people how you want to be treated. Simple as that. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. Couldn't agree more. Um, so yeah, it's been great to have you on the podcast. So thanks for being on. Um, no problem. And for sharing um you know, your own experiences and, and thoughts, etc. Um so yeah, thanks to you and thanks to everyone that's listening. Um and I'll see everyone next time. So thanks, Jensen. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much.